to the Rudy Runback. I'm your host, Jeff Rune, and I have a great interview for you guys today with Coach Tom Newell. He is a sports ambassador, and I'm having to bring you an RI Sports Focus podcast. We will be diving for local, educational, and athletic programs across our great state of Rhode Here we go. Welcome to the Rodeo Run Back, and I have a great episode for you guys today with Coach Tom Newell. Great interview with him. I really enjoyed our conversation. Coach Tom Newell is a son of Hall of Famer Pete Newell. Coach Tom Newell coached in the NBA. He was a coach with the Seattle Supersonics uh, and a scout with the Golden State Warriors, uh, and he's now just a big sports ambassador. Great interview with Coach Tom Newell. I really enjoyed our conversation. Super nice guy. Uh, really play. I'm like so positive out there and like this positive outlook on the world. I just really enjoyed our conversation overall. So it was really fun. This is like an episode that we talk about basketball and it ends up talking about life. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. But before we get into that episode, remember you guys can watch today's episode on YouTube by searching Rory Rumpack. And if you can't make it to YouTube, just stay tuned here. Just remember to like, share, and subscribe on either of those platforms. I really appreciate it. Now for our interview with Coach Tom Newell. All right, on today's show, I welcome on a very special guest. He is Coach Tom Newell. He's a sports ambassador. Coach, how are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you for the invitation, Jeff. Looking forward to our visit here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. You're just like, we spoke off air for a little bit. You're just an amazing person. And I hear great things from me for Coach Cobbley. Uh, Coach, I want to ask you, how are you doing during these times? I ask everyone this question. How are you doing during these times? How are things out west? How are you holding up during these crazy COVID times? It will be one qualified individual that has come out of the quarantine isolation with the experience of being able to watch paint dry, any color. (laughs) I still have my sanity, you know, and, and I'm very thankful to be upright. That's great. But the one thing, the one thing I will tell you that I've learned out of this is really understanding how to be human again. And what do you mean by that, Coach? Can you expand upon it? Well, the, 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 you know, within us, we, we all have the, uh, the innate ability to uh, forgive and then also the, the wonderful gift of compassion. All right. And, and we, we have the resources and, and we have the support here. And we, we do. We voluntarily bring that forward but but because temperature can and people's you know thoughts us than communicating like we are right now where we can see each other and by voice you know and so what's being transcribed all right from the emotional standpoint is taking away from the ability of a of, of an individual being a human being and being able to interact and understand exactly what's going on in the world, not their world, but the world. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. It's a very good point. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I like that you brought that up. I think being human again and like realizing that there's more stuff going out in the world than besides our own world as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and coach, 
you're a great basketball coach. You've been coaching for a while too. And before, you know, talk more about the pandemic and things outside of the pandemic, your father's hall of famer, Pete Newell. Uh, what did you learn from your father as a, as a basketball, get into coaching and basketball? Well, you know, he's a wonderful uh, model to follow, you know, as a, as a, uh, a basketball teacher first and a coach second. And, uh, and I learned early on that, you know, when I got into coaching that you cannot coach basketball unless you teach it first. And so that begins at the elementary level because you have to learn how to be patient. But more importantly, you have to learn the different modalities of learning, you know, of your students, you know. And so, so you, you have to bring in, uh, you know, the, the mechanics because there'll be some kids who'll be able to pick up the mechanics. And then, you know, when you, so all my foundational opportunities of, of being able to go into the world began with his model to follow of, of teaching, you know, and, and, and always talking about that. And so uh, Coach Neal, uh, you know, he's a Newell Jewel. Uh, he'll tell you, you know, he's right out of the same ilk. I, I mean, it, when I first met Coach Neal, uh, it was just amazing. You know, he, he's, a bona fide, he's a bona fide teacher in basketball, could coach at any level, could teach at any level. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that, that's where it is with, with uh, you know, the influence that my father had on me at an early age. He's a very busy man, you know, and traveling and scouting when he was coaching. So, you know, being able to, to get, you know, uh, vignettes uh, with him uh, and, and the family was, was really important and rare. And so you really rem remember those moments. That, that's awesome. That's great. And I, I, yeah, I know Coach Cobb is a very, uh, a big, big fan of Coach Pete Newell, your father. Uh, he always talked about him and said that was just like idol growing up um then coaching idol as well too and i think that's amazing too that you take the snippets of life that you had got to spend with your father as well too when you had the opportunity outside of basketball it sounds like as well um you know and the teaching part i think is the most important thing as well too isn't it like i feel like teaching is like some people just think they can hop into it before they can even teach the game without becoming a teacher and i think that's the toughest part that people don't realize about the game of basketball exactly you know and and uh my father's, uh, I remember him, 1968, he was in the kitchen, uh, on the kitchen, a uh, handheld phone, talking to a coach somewhere in the United States that had called him. And he always talked to coaches, and, you know, I mean, uh, nobody called him after uh, six o'clock, but, you know, from about eight, nine o'clock in the morning on, he would get calls from coaches, high school coaches, elementary coaches, and he, and, and, you know, and he, he was always giving in that way. And so this, this conversation was, well, coach, I just want you to understand something. And this is 1968. There are many, 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 all right, coaches in the world of basketball, but there are very few teachers. So you have to decide if you're going to stay in basketball, are you going to be a coach or are you going to be a teacher first? I never forgot it. Wow. And so, you know, when you think of Coach Neal and, and the experience you have with Coach Neal, then you understand. If you've been in another sport at an earlier age or later age or latter age, you know, and you remember that model, maybe that was a coach that didn't teach and you just relied on your own fundamentals and, and skill and then put you in position, you know, where, where you would operate there until you failed because he didn't teach you properly. Yeah. 
it's it's very true. It's, uh, and I think that was the biggest thing I think I learned from Coach Cobbley. Um, you know, what he taught taught me is to become, you know, from him, one, being a coach with me back in high school, to, you know, having him as well, too. And I think the biggest aspect of from being a player to going into the coaching was the teaching aspect of it. I think it's a big learning curve for a lot of guys that you have to understand. You can't just go out there and show them the way you, like, want to do. You have to teach them and show them, like, how it's done. And, like, everyone learns differently in a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's the only way the game evolves. Okay. Uh, you know, trust me, uh, the game is not going to evolve because the three point shot is entertainment. Okay. The, the game will only continue to evolve because at the lower level, the kids are being taught the fundamentals. Yeah. Coach Steve Kerr came out a couple of days ago, bemoaning the fact, all right, that his team, his young team, they, they're great effort and whatever, but they don't block out. And here they are almost into 70 games and, and, and they don't block out. And so they've lost a lot of games, close games, you know, in the fourth quarter because they didn't block out in the first quarter. Yeah. And so he was, he was talking about how the, the players are not being taught anymore at the lower level. And you had to look at the college benches and they've got eight to nine coaches on the bench. You look at the NBA level, they got eight to 10 coaches on the bench. You look at the AAU, you know, you've got two coaches there maybe. And then these kids, you know, are being, are coming in maybe for one practice a week, but they're just playing. But then you go down to the middle school level and, and then you see there's maybe only one or two kids out of the 10 kids that are really advanced that have skills. And you find out that it's the coach's son and his friend or a cousin. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is that, you know, there are kids that are being taught, but it's a very, it's like a 1% or 2%, Jeff, if you follow me. Yeah, 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 I definitely, I definitely get that. That's, uh, it's very interesting too, because I feel like it's, when you're, I think a lot of kids just, or parents or coaches <clears throat> just want to come in and just coach and not realize the aspect of like how to get the fundamentals down or what's the most important thing about the fundamentals. I mean, what do you do as well? seen from the NBA game that a lot of it's trickling down to the youth youth as a youth coach, like you, I mean, everyone's fine three pointers. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And like, does that trickle down to those well, kids? I, I, again, you know, technology, you know, people can go ahead and praise technology and advancement of man and what have you. But, you know, I just think it's making us dumber, yeah. you know, <laughs> because the, the simplicity, all right, of everything begins with the foundation. Okay. And so, the foundation of basketball has been shaken, okay, right now, uh, you know, and so the, I, you know, at the NBA level, I predict maybe not my lifetime, but yours, you know, the, the baskets will be moved to 11 feet, the, uh, the sidelines will be extended, you know, there won't be, uh, you know, uh, front row seats like they are now, uh, and then behind the benches, you know, uh, two rows or three rows. You know, I think when you look at an NBA bench right now, you you know, I see that's where the NBA is going to be in the future. I mean, I think they'll they'll take away 10 rows to give more privacy uh, to the players, you know, and, and uh, just because of social media and because, you know, people have cameras and, and uh, posting things and what have you and, you know, microphones and hearing comments, you know. And, and so I think that that technology is going to influence behavior to the point where, uh, you know, if, if the pandemic, we, you know, we manage it, but there's still gonna have to be a, a control 
you know, of contact, you know, and, and I, I don't know how that's going to go, Jeff, but what I'm saying is the game, way the game is evolving right now, that if, if, if the advancement is more towards, you know, shooting and you have all these taller players and, and now it's become an individual game, it really doesn't become, you know, a $25 a game, you know, uh, thing because these kids, you know, are now 30 that played the game, uh, you know, NBA 2K, they're 30 years old now and, and are thinking about, well, this is just like going, you know, playing a game, but seeing it live. There's no defense, you know, yeah. they're, they're putting up shots from half court, you know, yeah. and they're throwing up lobs, you know, things like that, but there's no execution, you know? Yeah. So that, that's what Mike Crystal Ball sees. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's a, I, I can definitely see it going in that direction. I know from, even just from the youth level coaching at the youth level, I see a lot of kids just jacking up three pointers before they even go take a two, take a two pointer, like take a mid range or a free throw or something normal. So I think that's the other thing that I think that's also trickling down that I see in the effects as well too. That kind of, you know, drives me nuts um, a little bit as well too. So I got a, I've got a, a, a poem that I wrote many, many years ago. Uh, and it's called Kids and New Sports Today. Yeah. All right. And it goes like this. Kids want to play, play, play. Coaches, all right, want to teach, teach, teach. Parents want to win, win, win. And refs want to quit, quit, quit. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good poem. It's, it's all truths in a simple, in a simple few lines, right? <laughs> all right. So I wrote that over 20 years ago. That's crazy. Because I do, I, I do, I, I was doing clinics in the uh, community of Seattle and, and the surrounding Puget Sound area, and and I have a handout, and I gave that to the coaches, and I've always put it in all my handouts, you know. Well, I've been putting out handouts since uh, the mid '90s, but what I'm saying is that it hasn't changed. Yeah. It has not changed. Think about that. Yeah, excuse me. It's crazy, crazy to think about. I mean, over a twenty-year span, it has not changed since then, and everything like that. Uh, it's just kind of seems like it's going on the same pace. Maybe one day we'll see. Hopefully, maybe see a little bit of change. Well, I think. Oh no, they're they're purists out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. without a doubt. I I, I mean, uh, I really enjoy watching uh, pops teams. Yeah. You know, and 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 how he takes young players and and the veterans, and you know, there's a there's an order. You know, there's a there's a respect order there that that uh, has carried over. You know, you see it in Milwaukee with uh, Bud, Coach Bud, and and uh, you know Monty Williams. You know, and so I, I, you know, there's there's hope, Jeff. I'll be honest with you. There's hope. You know, as long as Coach Neal's back there teaching and you're you're bringing up the game and talking about it, it's evolving. You yeah. know, it's not devolving. It's evolving. That's good. That's good. Yeah, well, I right. appreciate that as well too. Um, there's no a a a jeff remember this there's no defense for the truth yeah that's true that's very true that's a good point it's a very good point i appreciate that coach uh and uh, i know coach coach you will be excited to hear about that as well too but coach also i wanted to jump into a little bit of your career and probably talk more about this too uh, like how did you start as a scout with the golden state warriors uh i moved from california with my uh newly uh wed wife who was born on the east coast and uh, relocated to Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, her brother, uh, my ex-brother-in-law, uh, was living there already and, and uh, had an opportunity to uh, work with him and, and uh, rehabbing homes 
and yeah. uh, taking old homes and, and uh, refurbishing them, whether it was uh, the roof or windows or the walls or whatever. And, and I like doing that. I was doing that before. Uh, and and uh, so I uh, was there for four years. And, and uh, when I, I was in California, I, I had worked as a juvenile probation officer and, and also had basketball camps for the kids in the summer in the Owens Valley area. And, uh, and so I've been involved with the communities, uh, you know, ever since 1975. And so, wow. and, and, you know, and being a, a model to follow and, and, and trying to give back, you know, to, to coaches and trying to help them understand it's not about you, you know, it's about the kids first and, and uh, wear a rubber band, you know, not for good luck, you know, not for your hair, but to, to remind you, uh, you know, the basketball is a game of adjustments. You got to be flexible. Some yeah. kids are going to show up late because their their parents were late. You know, some kids are going to show up with two right shoes, you know, and, and people laugh. And, and I say, well, no, you know, there was a player in the NBA that did that, you know, in a, in a preseason game when I was coaching with the Seattle Sonics. And then that was, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, you can't do it. Yeah, he played, he played with, we played with the Clippers and then also played with the Sonics. He was okay. a big man. How to look him uh, up. What's that? I said, who was that? Where do I have to look him up? <laughs> no, no, no. His, uh, his, his initials were BB. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. but anyway, I, I'm sitting there and, and players going through the warmups and, and so our coach is Bernie Bickerstaff, and he's standing up, and, and he was talking to uh, Gene Shu, who he coached with, with uh, who's coaching the Clippers, but who he coached with in Washington after Casey Jones left. So anyway, Bernie comes back, and, and I stand up and say, "Hey, B," I said, uh, "Look at your own, uh, look at uh, look at B's uh, feet." And he goes, "Tommy, why do I want to look at him?" I said, "No, no, no, look at his feet." So anyway, he's on the other side, the, the rebound line. And so gets, gets the ball, passes it, he comes back in front of us and he's looking at his feet and he's got two right shoes on. <laughs> and then he watches him go in for a layup. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, Tommy, this is some shit here. So anyway, <laughs> he ends up, he says, wait here. So he ends up, he, you know, goes down to Gene. Gene gets up off the bench, comes over and, talks to him and, and Gene's looking and Gene just shakes his head just you know and I can see it all right and Bernie comes back and Bernie's shaking his head and so he, he calls Benoit over and Benoit comes over and and uh, you know Gene's talking to him looking up at him and looking down at his feet and Benoit just has his uh, there you go again so it's Benoit Benjamin Benoit has his head down and and uh, Benoit's gone he goes to the locker room now Gene comes over all right. And uh, Bernie gets up and, you know, I get up to say hello, shake hands. And, and, uh, and so Bernie obviously told him that I, you know, had seen it. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, you're not going to believe this. And he goes, Bernie goes, what happened? He says, well, his girlfriend packed his bag for the game. <laughs> and so she took the two white largest shoes because he knew he had large shoes, but didn't look to see that they were both right uh, shoes Jeez. so put it in the bag he got to the locker room you know and so he's got his own cubicle uh and i forget we were playing at, at a college it was an exhibition game it wasn't a regular season yeah and so 
you know, he's looking around. He's got his shoes on. You know, he's been taped. He's got his shoes. I mean, he's got his socks on. His shoes are off. And and uh, he's got, you know, the, the right shoe on. He goes to put the left shoe on and, and uh, realizes it's the right shoe. And, and he does put on all the way. And then he realized nobody's looking at him. And so he, he puts on the other one. And so then he decides to walk to the bathroom, you know, and, and uh, do whatever and, and uh, didn't feel bad. So he said, well, nobody noticed it. And he's only 7'1 and weighed 280 pounds. If nobody noticed it, you know, then I guess it'll be all right. I'll see how it goes. If it, if it doesn't feel right, then I'll tell coach. Yeah. So, so I admire him for his courage. Yeah. And I tell coaches that they all laugh about it, but I said, all right, I want you to understand. Okay. I felt bad for him, but when I heard the story, I really admired him for his courage. And I told Bernie that yeah. I admired Benoit for his courage. And I mean that because most players would be really embarrassed, but he still was in an exhibition game, still wanted to compete. And that yeah. told me a lot about the individual, about his heart. If you understand what I mean, the, yeah. the personality stuff, the behavior, you know, that, that's, that's all the canaries between his ears. Okay. Yeah. But, but the, the spirit to compete. All right. I really admire that in him. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's crazy that he, uh, I mean, well, good for him for being one. And, and you're the first one. All right. You're the first one in, in uh, 40 years to hear that story. Really? <laughs> yeah. You got wow. I, I feel, feel honored to uh, hear that story. Yeah. That's, yeah. You got a, You got, you got, you got a classic, classic newell jewel there yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take it i'll take it for sure that's a great i mean that's a great story i mean it shows the competitor's heart and the spirit to win and wanting to play basketball and it felt i obviously must have felt right for him to step out on the court and not realize it absolutely know, still be able to compete with it i mean what was your time like with the seattle supersonics and do you ever think they'll have a team back there as well uh do we ever what i mean what, what was your time with the seattle supersonics and do you think they'll ever have a team back in Seattle. Oh yeah, that'll happen. Uh, you know, with the money that's available, you know, in the Northwest today, uh, you know, that'll happen. I just don't know, uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think probably in 24, they'll, they'll start entertaining bids. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's ridiculous, you know, that it's going to probably be about above two, 2 billion to get in, wow. you know, when major league baseball comes out and announces, you know, to get a franchise as bad as that model is. Yeah. And they say that a franchise is going to cost 2.2 billion. That tells me how much money that baseball lost, yeah. you know, and the owners lost because they share that pool, you know, in the NBA, all the owners share the pool of an expansion. Yeah. All right. And then it used to be, I don't know, it's probably changed, but it used to be that they didn't get to share the first two years. If you can believe this, because, uh, you know, they were able to select players off teams. They didn't get to share in the TV and radio broadcasts at the other player, uh, the national. They could share in their own local broadcast revenues, but they couldn't get the national revenues, radio or TV. Really? That's crazy. Yeah, for two years. Huh. That's wild. You know, and then, you know, I forget what they paid back then to get into uh, to the league. I think it's maybe 300, 400 million. But, yeah, that was the investment that you had to make. That's crazy. Now what they, they've done, you know, I know they've gotten rid of that, but when you see what, what uh, the Bucks sold for, you know, in that market. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, 
you, you look at Seattle and, and it was the next NBA market. So they're going to go ahead and they'll treble, you know, whatever yeah. the, the, the going rate is what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, there's enough interest there that I think the, the, uh, the league knows to bring a team back. That's uh, I, I I mean I feel like everyone wants him back. I had a Seattle Sionics shirt on underneath his hoodie, but I didn't want to disappoint Coach Cobley. I had to represent the Wheel Alliance uh, hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> so they pulled right? the sponsor. The sponsor. That's what he says to me. I pull the sponsor, but uh, you know, you coach for the Sonics, the Nets, and the Mavericks. I mean, what is the NBA grind like that people don't really understand behind it? Well, I got to tell you, man, I'm, you know, I'm old school. I, I, I don't know about you, but I really find out I couldn't coach today in the NBA. There are too many voices, Yeah. you know, and, and I know as a player, you know, with the number of coaches that I had, you know, I can only have, I only had one that I really respected, mm-hmm. you know, that, that coached me and, and, uh, and taught me, you know, the, the game. And that was uh, Tandy Gillis. And that was back in the eighth grade. Oh, wow. You know, I was one of the tall kids on the team, skinny and what have you, but he taught me the fundamentals. And then my next coach with him, who equal was uh, Ned Everbuck. And both those players had had played uh, for the championship team that my dad coached in 59. Wow. 1959. And so here I was, you know, in the eighth grade and tall, skinny, had only played organized basketball since the seventh grade in a parochial school in Oakland. And uh, ended up going to high school, going to a basketball high school, another uh, Catholic high school, big powerhouse, Bishop O'Dowd. And, uh, you know, there are a couple of other guys as tall as me. I was, you know, 6'2 at the time and, and uh, had a couple of guys 6'4 and, and I was a center. And, uh, you know, but Tandy had taught me the fundamentals. And so I was the left-hander, but I had really, you know, I'd been empowered to work on my offhand. And so I was really more stronger with my right hand than my left. And so I, I had moves that, that gave me an advantage. Plus I just hustled my ass off. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I was always known as, you know, I just always gave the best effort. So long story short, <coughs> then my sophomore year, I grew, I'm six, three and a half. Now I'm the starting center. Cause we had two kids that bounced out of school for disciplinary reasons. For some reason, I thought it was cool to smoke cigarettes before they go to practice in the boys' locker room. Yeah. You know, the only problem is, is that you go back to the 60s, the way they had the HVAC set up, they had vents that went from the locker room up into the gym. <laughs> so it, it smelled like smoke. And so <laughs> coach was up there and goes down, catches these guys. That was it. <laughs> That's so, the end of that, hey, yeah. They were off. So Ned Everbuck was my coach and, and we had just wonderful. We had one of the last one game. And, you know, he was like six, seven, weighed 265 pounds. The last game of the season, uh, we're playing uh, South San Francisco Reardon High School. And uh, I think that's where Aaron Rodgers went to school, maybe went to Sarah. But uh, anyway, uh, we ended up, uh, we played the preliminary game. Uh, we were tied with Reardon. And uh, if we beat them, then we, we won the league title because they didn't have playoffs for JVs. And uh, so here we were, we were like 22 and one. And we win the game and uh, we go to pick him up. All right. So you got to understand he's six, seven, weighs about 265, 270. Just a great guy. Right. But, but I mean, 
try to think of, of uh, Humpty Dumpty with appendages, okay? Yeah. So we go to pick him up, all right? And we're going, well, I mean, we're going all over the court, man. You know, we got, you know, eight guys, you know, with his shoulders under his legs, you know, and we got four guys holding his back up, you know, and, and he's loving it, okay? And then all I hear is this, 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 no, no. And I stop and I look and it's uh, the varsity coach, you know, cause I'm a captain on the team. He gives me the, you know, his finger to come over to him. Get your ass off the court right now. God damn, we got a game to play. Our game is more important than your shit ass game. Wow. That's crazy. True story. True story. Wow. So, so, you know, we stopped, you know, got into the locker room and then we just, we dragged him into the showers. Yeah. He, he willfully came. Yeah, so, so then I played for that next coach for two years and we won the Catholic championships and we were the Northern California champions. They don't, they didn't have the state championship at that time. And, and we're the only team in the Bay area that had all five players, all five starters, all my five team, all my four teammates. We got scholarships out of high school. Wow. Yeah. That's where Byron Scott who coached in the NBA and played for the Lakers on their championship team. He yeah. went to school there. Uh, he was uh, Jason Kidd was coached by my high school coach in St. Joseph's in Oakland. Wow. So I got, I got, I got some influences, yeah. you know, I've got a lot of lessons learned uh, and new knowledge gained. Okay. Every day. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That's amazing. That did, have you ever spoken to like Jason Kidd or those Byron Scott, those guys? Who played oh, I said, yeah, I, I saw Jason. I was scouting uh, in Arizona. And uh, I went up to him, said hello, and introduced. You know, he knew the name. You know, yeah. he's just cordial. I just wanted him to know, you know, that appreciated. You represented the 510. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's it. You know, nice. I mean, he wouldn't know me. I mean, if I walked in, he wouldn't know me. You know, but if I said 510, then he goes, oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> You awesome. know how that works. Yeah, you know? exactly. We're the 401, so I don't know about that. I'll read Booyah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Coach, when you were playing at college, you played in University of Hawaii? Right. I started out at the uh, University of Portland, Oregon. Yep. And uh, and at that time, there was a, a high escalation beginning in Vietnam. It had just started in uh, the, the, uh, the spring of 65. Uh, so my draft status... You know, I was fortunate enough to register <clears throat> when I turned 18. So my draft status for that year, uh, 65, 66, had me uh, 2S, mm -hmm. which is the first student. So they couldn't, they couldn't draft me at that time because I was a student, yeah. a college student. All right. So the ones that were exempted, to give you an idea how crazy it was, if, if you were married, all right, uh, and you had a child, you were exempted. But if you were married, you were still eligible. If oh. you had some uh, physical or mental defect or deficiency, uh, you also had an exemption. Interesting. All right? So I had this 2S. What they didn't include was the fact that they had the right to change the rules. So the 2S in the spring for college, if you had above a 2.6, 
you could maintain a two a two S. Okay. Well, I was I was a I was a thoroughbred a thoroughbred jock in a parochial environment. Yeah. I'm not an atheist, but I had a problem with the the hierarchy. Yeah. And it wasn't disruptive. I'm just saying I had a problem uh, with the information that was being served. Yeah. So I applied myself in certain classes and other classes. I got a passing grade. All yeah. right. So that brought me below a two six. I didn't realize it at the time. So here I am. I'm home from school. I'm excited and what have you. I get this letter from the selective service saying that I've been drafted. So I had a conversation with my father. I ended up enlisting in the Navy Reserve. Uh, I, I ended up uh, being sent to sub school. They had a program for college players and uh, ex-college players that uh, put them in sub school. And then they represented the Navy uh, at the sub base at Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And they did this for baseball. They had a number of baseball players major league baseball players who played for sub pack. Wow. So anyway, I went to sub school, uh, station, uh, uh, not station, but uh, sub school for six weeks at Hunter's Point in San Francisco. And then uh, went to uh, Treasure Island, which, you know, subdivides the uh, Golden, uh, the, uh, the Bay Bridge used to, or still does. Uh, and then I was there for uh, three weeks uh, for transition. For rotation. So I, I ended up being attached to uh, a boat, uh, the USS Perch, that was coming back. So I had temporary uh, duty uh, when I got to uh, Pearl Harbor for service. Uh, my boat was the oldest uh, submarine in the Navy at that time, and it was being decommissioned and being brought back. Wow. And so, yeah, it had a deck gone on and everything, man. And I'm thinking to myself, I had to report on it, all right? Just so I understand some. Here I am, I'm six, three and a half, okay? I've, I, you know, wet probably about 170 pounds, okay? Yeah. And I got to go below decks to bring my papers, all right, to let them know that I'm being attached to the boat, yeah. even though it's being decommissioned. They don't decommission it, you know, for 30 days. Yeah, yeah. Because of all the paperwork and rotating players off the boat and whatever, all right? So... You know, so I go down, I report, you know, but but because I was already not on the ship or on the boat, they don't call it a ship, on the boat, then I was to stay in the temporary uh, um, barracks where I was on, on the, 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 uh, the third floor yeah. of the barracks. All right. So anyway, <clears throat> ended up from that boat, I ended up being uh, uh, attached to uh, the USS Blueback. All right. Okay. All right. So that boat right now is in dry dock as a, uh, um, a representative of a uh, decommissioned uh, Navy uh, uh, boat, submarine at the uh, uh, old uh, uh, Oregon Museum of Science and Industry really? on, the, uh, on the Willamette River. And the reason I know that is that when I was coaching with the Portland Fire, when I did my interview, I stayed at the, the residence inn, which is right across from Wansi. I'm staying on the top floor, get up in the morning, open up the curtains to look, all right, because I did interviewed, had never spent much time on the river there because I lived in Seattle at the time. We're going yeah. back to the uh, 
uh, let's see, uh, 2000, uh, 2001. Yeah. All right, this happened. So here I am, you love this, Jeff. So here I am, open up the window, I look across and there's a submarine up out of the water. There's a dock there and the number on is 582. Jeff, there's only one 582 submarine. Yeah. And that yeah. was the one I was on. Oh my God. So, you know, I dress, I hustle up, I go downstairs, you know, I ask this young person, you know, about, you know, the sign over there that says OMSI, you know, and there's a submarine there. Oh yeah, I've been on that. So I really, I, I served on that. And so anyway, long story short, it ended up where she uh, gave me information on OMSI and it had the, all the information on, on the boat, you know, where it was stationed. You know, it was a skipjack class, you know, it had conventional Fairbanks motors on it, whatever. Long story short, man, you know, I, I pedaled over there, you know, I not with a bike, but I, mean, I got I got over there quick. Yeah, because uh, I wanted to check it out. But long story short, I ended up in Hawaii for uh, two years in the service. My boat that I ended up being transferred to the Blueback, all right, uh, was going to go to uh, uh, operations in about 45 days. Well, during that time, I ended up meeting, uh, you know, and the basketball season has started at that time. Yeah. But I'm playing ball and I'm working out. Okay. And I'm playing with some of those guys there, but they already have their cush jobs, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I ended up being rotated into uh, uh, oh, special services that provided cars and provided uh, uh, at Barber's Point, northern part of uh, the island, uh, cabins out there for uh, the pilots or, or any service people, maybe people that wanted to take a, a weekend or a vacation out there. And yeah. so I went out, I would go out every weekend and do all the, the maintenance in, in, the, in the, um, the units. And so I'd be out there, you know, six, seven hours and, and uh, what have you. Did that. And then I ended up getting rotated into the submarine squadron one as a yeoman and became a courier. So I did that for almost a, a year and, and two, three months. Served for 24 months. But during that time, I played basketball. And uh, my second year was, was starting and I ended up being offered a scholarship at the University of Hawaii. Wow. So I ended up being at Hawaii for three years, was a co-captain senior uh, of the team that uh, went to the NIT quarterfinals uh, and was recently selected as the uh, number one uh, sports team in the history of Hawaii sports. Uh, That's awesome. I wasn't able to make that ceremony, but but it's quite an honor. And being the only senior and co-captain on the team, you know, I was honored, you know, yeah. to be a member. Uh, so that was my my basketball, you know, um, matriculation, you know, uh, as an amateur. And wow. then I got drafted by the Phoenix Suns out of college, had breakfast and lunch, went home for dinner, and then went overseas and played uh, in Belgium, southern Belgium, for two years. Uh, learn how to speak Wallon, which is a dialect of French. Uh, learn how, just as we have the North against the South, and there it's the South against the North because the North, the uh, Flemish, uh, aligned themselves with uh, the Third Reich back yeah. in World War II. And so, you know, learned a lot more over there than I ever learned in, in college. Wow. All right, or in high school or in elementary school. Yeah. About, you know, Europe and about World War II. So anyway. Did that and uh, yeah, man was uh, ended up being a player coach uh, with the team and 
it was a great experience. That's great awesome. experience. That's there awesome. it is, that's, man. That's such a cool experience, and that's that's crazy. I, I think that interesting part about learning the World War II stuff that might have to be another. That might have to be a phone call on its own. I'd be interested to hear that because I like I'm a big history buff, so I'd be interested to hear what you've learned over oh, there. Oh yeah, no, no, you know, you, you, we can talk about it, you know, off air or whatever. Yeah, I'm happy to share that with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, one the, one of the most compelling, one of the one of the most compelling illuminations I had was sitting across a 90 year old man who was in a rocking chair, and his great grandfather. And his son uh, had gone to a uh, medical school in Boston and uh, spoke three languages, Michelle, and his family had three young children. And so he, he kind of adopted me. And so I, you know, would go over there on weekends and have dinners and they're really big on Sunday dinners, family dinners. Yeah. And so I met him the first time. And so here's this man, try to imagine, right? And, and you know, he's, he, he has missed a meal since he was born. <laughs> and so he's sitting in a chair and he's rocking. And he's got the biggest ass cigar you could ever imagine. All right. And between his legs, he's got he's got a cane. The TV's on. I'm sitting across from him, all right, on, on a on another chair, all right, facing the TV. But I can see him. And then Michelle is is there. And he says, Coach, you know, any question you want to ask him, you know, he'd love to talk to you. Yeah. And I said, Well, great. So he's rocking and he's smoking a cigar. All right. And this this cat's I mean, if I was going to be 90 years old, man, I don't want to be like him, right? <laughs> I mean, he's chill. The only thing he didn't have in that rocking chair were wheels, okay? <laughs> so, so I ask him, and I go, Michelle, ask Pops, or call him Papa, ask Papa, uh, what was the first car he ever owned? And because uh, I was curious, you know, I mean, he went through a couple, you know, a couple of world wars, you know, experience and whatever. And so, and here it was, this is 1971, right? I'm where I met him. <coughs> and here he is, 90 years old. Never had a car. Couldn't afford it. Wow. So then it just opened up, you know, I didn't have to ask him another question. He said he had never flown on an airplane. He said he had uh, all his life, he's been a railroad conductor uh, when the war broke out and uh, he took his family. Uh, he had a bicycle and he had a knapsack that had silver in it, silverware. Yeah. And he took the family and they uh, immigrated to uh, Northern France to a farm and they used the silver all right, to exchange for bread and whatever, but they stayed in the farm, in wow. the farmhouse. And the farmer took them in. This was a true story in Northern France. And I just listened to it and I was just taking it in. I was just trying to imagine to be displaced like that yeah. in America, uh, you know? Uh, I, I mean, Jeff, it, it, I grew up right there, yeah. okay? Especially after losing a couple of friends in Vietnam. I mean, to hear him talk about it, okay? And so then he, he you know, he, he said they survived, you know, and, and thankful and what have you. And, and uh, he came back and, and he said that you became a conductor and, and never, never stopped since, wow. you know, and had no interest in owning a car. He said, why would I need a car when we have trains and we have buses? That's a good point. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, I didn't ask him, well, what would you do for vacations, you know, but they went on vacation, whatever. I don't. All I'm saying is he made practical sense to me, okay? Yeah. So he wasn't caught up into, you know, uh, getting some new automobile, 
you know, every year or, or having a, a, an automobile that he depended upon for anything. So anyway, that to me, that, 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 you know, was something that I'll never forget, you know, and, and, you know, you're probably maybe the second or third person in my life away from Europe from 1970. Uh, I left there in 73 uh, that I've shared the story with. So thank you. For well, you're welcome. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Yeah. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. That's, uh, that's so cool that like, it's just amazing how they survived and then they came back and then like, it just seemed like a very, um, yeah. a very like, you know, it didn't really, like you said, he's not very, it did sound very materialistic as a person, just very simple man that like enjoyed something like he enjoyed his cigars, but like, you know, like, and then like, like the, you know, the trains and the buses. And I, th I think that's, I think that's such a cool, interesting story just to like for someone to share. Oh, unbelievable. You know, and, and he never complained, you know, that's yeah. the thing. You know, here he went through all this hardship, Jeff. Think about this, all right? Being displaced twice because two wars, yeah. all right? 1971, you know, here I am in a country that's in a war in Vietnam. And and he's talking about displacement, you know, and, and, and you know, and I have my own issues about <clears throat> where our involvement in Nam. You know, one, because we were fighting against somebody that fought out of, you know, coconut trees and tunnels. And yeah. I didn't have a Navy, didn't have an Air Force. And yes, you know, we engaged with... Uh, you know, the Chinese, but what, uh, all I'm saying is that they were really not, never a threat. Okay. Yeah. And you know yeah. that, and I know that. And so, yeah. you know, losing two friends uh, hurt, yeah. you know, and, and having another uh, uh, peer that, that uh, lost his, uh, below his knee, lost his foot to a punji spike. That was a really excellent basketball player. And because he wasn't married, but going to community college and, and the uh, selected service changed it so that if you were in community college, you were now eligible to be drafted. It didn't matter you had the 3.0 or 4.0. Yeah, yeah. You went, okay. So he ended up going in. Well, he's on patrol, stepped on a punchy spike, lost his foot. Jeez, that's yeah. awful. So, yeah, anyway, so the European experience for me was, you know, my rebirth in life. Yeah, that's awesome. So I went that... 20, 23 years, and then I was born again. Wow, that's crazy. That's uh, that's amazing that, that that whole experience in Europe changed your life and uh, you know led you down a, a path. Like what? So what's the decision to you know get into the coaching? Like I mean, you were a player coach in Belgium. What's it like to come back to the states and then end up coaching that way? Oh no, I I, I uh, my whole life has been serving. My whole life has been you know intention has been teaching the game. Yeah. With kids. Yeah. I mean, uh, wherever I've been, I've always worked with kids. I mean, this this quarantine uh isolation you know at my age and being smart uh this is the first time i've been off a basketball court all right uh as i have for uh, the last year and a half in my lifetime all right because yeah. i always you know was on you know with a ball <laughs> i shouldn't say my lifetime but you know nine years old on you know i've always been on a court and and so uh as my uh semi-retired life you know, I'd be on a basketball court four or five times a week for two hours or so working with players. Yeah. All right. And so, uh, or on the weekends, you know, a couple hours. So here I am, I, I can't get in because the facilities are closed and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go outdoors without a mask on. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you have kids whose parents, you know, or anti-vaxxers and, and uh, anti-maskers and, you know, and so, I can't work with a kid if he's not going to wear a mask. 
Yeah, you know, exactly. just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, all I'm saying is that, you know, it's been an adjustment for me. I'm not complaining at all. I, I think I've been, I've, I've written some wonderful things, you know, that, that, uh, you know, I've shared with others and it's helped me a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm very thankful to be upright. Uh, let me put it that way. I've been having challenges since my heart attack in 2015, but man, oh, wow. I'll tell you what, you know, we come out of this, uh, this pandemic. I'm really looking forward to the restart. I'm, I'm yeah. all, I'm all for it. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what are your plans for the restart? What do you got going on? What are you thinking about? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, the most important thing uh, coming out of the restart is understanding that, you know, our children have been deprived and denied the opportunity to recreate. Uh, one, because they, uh, they may have been three or four kids in, in a, uh, a house or an apartment, uh, didn't have uh, the access to uh, park facilities or a basket uh, or a ball uh, or grown and the shoes didn't fit. I uh, hadn't celebrated uh, a birthday uh, or got Christmas presents uh, because of unemployment and because of displacement, because of the pandemic. Uh, a lot of psychological things. And, and you know, and I know kids internalize at an early age mm-hmm. and, and because they don't know how to express themselves. They don't know how to express pain that they can't see yeah. when 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 they when their their finger hurts they see where the bone all right is bruised they see that when they they you know they see a cut and they see a bleed all right they they you know the reaction goes from you know when when they were in adolescence you know and 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 younger and understanding you know that a band-aid but but there's panic there and what have you and so they react to it but but you know from a mental health standpoint when there's insecurity and there's panic and there's fear, you know, children internalize and, and, and they, they hide it, they keep it. And, and so I'm really concerned about adult coaches, volunteer coaches of children ages eight to 14 before they get to high school, getting on the basketball court again and not understanding it's, you know, the, the, the whole mantra uh, should be back to their future and their uppercase and future uppercase F. Yeah, but it, that 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 should be the mantra for these coaches yeah. that that understanding, you know, the psychological uh, 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 implication. OK, and 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 the, the lack. All right. Of support models during uh, without recreation and, and without a model to follow passing the ball or rebounding and, and what have you. Uh, these kids are, are fragmented, man, mentally. And so, you know, my my whole. I'm setting it up now and, and uh, going to be uh, working with coaches, uh, volunteer coaches, using high school coaches as, as uh, uh, my assistants. And we're going we're gonna to help these young coaches understand, all right, and kind of uh, not recertify, but retool, all right, and, and help them understand it's about the kids first, okay? Yeah. And, and so you got to put the fun, uh, all right, uh, in the mentals, all right? And so I go, you know, f- fun, not, you know, dumb mentals, I put I-N. So it's fun, F-U and uppercase, and then lowercase N, and then uppercase duh, mentals, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I want the coaches to understand that, just roll the ball out, let them play three and three. Let them go back to the things they remember, you know, from an from a inherent standpoint, all right, uh, from before about setting screens, uh, uh, about passing, about shooting, about finishing, and just watch them play and observe. 
see where their confidence is or isn't and take notes of the kids and see where they're really deficient. Are they deficient in passing? Then, you know, then now you can work on your practice planning and put in, you know, drills that will improve their passing. You know, can they not finish? Then you have drills that you, you want to go ahead and break it up into baskets where they're practicing their left hand, their right hand layups, you know? Yeah. And so what I'm saying, you're making it a, const a positive constructed environment, Jeff, where the kids will continue to evolve in a confident way where they're having fun. Yeah. Okay. Because when, when a coach is all of a sudden playing his son or her son uh, or cousin or best friends, and there's these other eight kids that don't have, or four or five kids that don't have new shoes are wearing, you know, gear that's a couple of years old because their parents couldn't afford it. <coughs> and, and uh, you know, don't have their own basketball. Okay. Because the older brother, you know, lost it. Yeah. All I'm saying is that the, the human side of being a model to follow, it really begins with the youth coaches and organized sports, because that's the number one thing that parents want their kids to do. Yeah. All right. Is, is you know, because it gives them freedom. It gives them an opportunity. You know, somebody else is going to watch them. It's like that pool, you know, the pool uh, lifeguard. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. off at the pool, got somebody else to watch him. You know, yeah. I'll go shop, you know, I go, go to, go to Starbucks. It's somebody else's responsibility. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and so what I'm saying is that, you know, I call it country club mentality. You know, I just feel it's going to happen again. And we got a problem with that. Yeah. You know, we really do. So the emphasis is back to their future, setting up, you know, bringing in a, a sports nutritionist to help the coaches understand that a lot of these kids are going to be overweight. They're going to have some cardio issues to be aware, all right, to, to help them understand, to change their diets again, you know, uh, to have a snack before practices, what to eat before tournaments and games, but the expectations, all right, uh, that, that the kids are going to have on performance, but they're not going to be able to perform because they didn't eat right to play right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. You're, I think that's a, since one of the greatest things I think when I'm reading about your background coach is that it seems like you're just a big advocate for children and like, uh, you know, health and care about the kids. And I think that's such a cool thing that you're getting this process going and, uh, you know, making this happen, because I think that's the biggest thing. It's like we there has to be a little bit of some normalcy when we get back to out of this pandemic. And I think that building confidence in these young men, uh, young children, like boys and girls and helping them grow and get them back into that basketball shape and help them like build confidence within them and not get down on them if they miss a shot or don't, don't box out right or do something, just let them have some fun. And I love, I love the idea behind it. I think it's such a great idea. Great. Good. Yeah. We'll spread it around, man, because we got to get the word out there. You know, it's yeah. back to their future. Yeah. You know, structure creates behavior. Yeah. But there's going to be a lot of attrition, especially in basketball, okay, because it's an indoor-outdoor activity. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of attrition because kids are going to be abandoned, all right, before the pandemic. I know this, all right, because I've been certifying coaches for, for 40 years. I did it in Seattle. Not certified, but I used to do coaches' clinics. Yeah. Back with Sonics. You know, I did camps, and the camps were called. Believe it or not, best effort camps. But anyway, I brought the same model back in the 90s, late 90s and two, uh, 2000s to mid-thousands. I brought it back to, oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. There we go. Yeah. All right. I brought, I brought it back to Seattle again uh, when I uh, got off the road of, of uh, coaching. 
and uh you know and and ended up you know each summer have anywhere from 12 to 1300 kids free camp for the kids supported by uh, businesses in the community and and uh you know used high school players as models to follow and worked with recreation centers we went to 22 different recreation centers uh and then we took the same model of drills that we introduced the kids all right and uh and we and we gave them an essay program if i were a coach for today this is what i'd do unbelievable essay and they could draw pictures so they could reflect all right if they were coached for a day any sport jeff most unbelievable uh, uh experience <coughs> that that i've ever had and i i've carried it on with me internationally i've got some 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 letters from kids essays from kids from their heart break your heart man make you cry absolutely oh, make you cry yeah seriously but I've... but what i'm saying is that you know the <clears throat> The whole idea of just because you played the game, you know, you can coach the game. What did I say? You can't coach unless you teach first. Yeah. So pre-pandemic, you know, the reason kids were, were uh, quitting sports was because it wasn't fun. Coaches played favorites. All right. Coach yelled a lot. Okay. Didn't learn anything. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And they quit. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Think about your own experience. If you were going to quit a sport at an early age before you met Coach Neal, why would you have quit the activity? Because it wasn't fun or I wasn't enjoying myself. That's probably why, like, right? Because I wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't fun. That's like the thing I'm exactly. thinking about. Yeah. Takes so away. So you see what I mean? Yeah. So now we're coming out of the pandemic and we're going to have kids that have grown, all right, exponentially. Uh, and, and, kids that are not going to be coordinated you might even have to teach them how to retie tennis shoes because yeah. they've been wearing crocs and flip-flops <laughs> you see what i mean jeff and yeah just what you're doing right there brother you know warms my heart because you're laughing yeah because you, you you have to have the ability to laugh and disarm angst and disarm fear and make it fun for the kids yeah and, exactly. and explain we're gonna you know whenever i would uh, do clinics with young kids and I demonstrate things, I would dribble off my foot because yeah. I would tell them we're going to make mistakes because makes, mistakes are part of the learning process. Exactly. And so I dribble off my foot and they'd laugh, you know, and I go, oh, shoot. All right, I'm going to keep again, but you, can you tell me why I dribble the ball off my foot? And then, then the kids are engaged. Yeah. And now they're empowered, all right, to reflect and know right from wrong. The only two happens in basketball. Yeah. All right. Good habits and bad habits. Yeah. There are only two ways to play the game. <laughs> the right way and the wrong way. Wrong way, yeah. <clears throat> so if I'm dribbling a ball with my head down, is that a good habit or bad habit? Bad habit. Is that the right way or wrong way? Wrong way. Booyah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I got another one for you. I don't want to embarrass you, but it's going to give you just a simple lesson that you'll never forget, especially if you're a youth coach in basketball. How many speeds are there in basketball? Three, right? Thank you, Coach Neal. Yeah. All right. Run them by me, bro. Oh, man. Jeez, <laughs> um, I don't know. I can't think about it my head. I know there's three speeds in basketball. Is it? I don't know. I'm, I'm drawing a All blank. Right, hold now. up, man. Let me ask you something. I'm going to give you some props. I love it. <clears throat> if you... 
If you had a, uh, a car, <coughs> what speed would that be fast, right? Yeah. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right. <coughs> if I had a car. I asked you, yeah, I asked you what, if you had a car, what speed would it be? It would be, well, if I had to turn it on, it'd have to be, oh, it'd be a three, of, I don't be know. Fast. Be fast. Yeah, what speed? Fast. It would be a fast, fast it'd speed. be a fast speed, right? Yeah. Okay. If you had a bicycle. Fast. Compared to a car, what speed would that be? Fast. Oh, slow. Yeah, oh, wait a minute. No. <laughs> slow, that right? Was, that was fast. <laughs> that make me think, Coach. I don't know. Now, I think uh, I, it would be slow to compare to a car. Okay. Are you there? Yep. All right, hold on. I got to plug in my battery here. It just gave me a notice. All right. All right, so we're slow. So we got fast, slow. So then let me ask you this, all right? If you had uh, if you had a supersonic jet, what speed would you would you say that is? Really fast. Would you say it's quick? Yes. All right. So what what I do is I say quick is change the direction, step back, cross over. Defensively switch, jump out. Okay. Rotations. Slow is under control, and that's what we learned by. Yep. All right. And that happens in the laboratory on the court. <clears throat> Fastest transition, getting back on defense, off the court. Assignments. Yep. Execution. So once you've taught that as a as a coach to young kids, they never forget it. Now I forgive you. You 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 got the new. <laughs> the numericals right but but you miss, missed out on the uh i know i haven't coached in a little while speed, it's, been, it's been it's been uh i think it's been at least i've been out of the coaching game for at least six games i forget i've <laughs> really yeah i want to get back into it. i miss it really i miss it a lot well I wanna... gosh i hope you hey jeff i hope you're able to do that brother yeah i love it the, kid, I, the like... kids the kids will love it yeah, it's 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 a big passion of mine. I, I have to tell you about an idea that I have outside after off of this, but off air. I'll, I'll, I want to tell you something I was thinking about doing, and it has to relate what you just mentioned as well, too. But, um, coach, this has been so much fun too. I I don't know if I have any other questions. I think you just what who you are as a person is just absolutely amazing. Um, you're such an avid for kids. You had such a great journey. I mean, from going overseas, uh, you know, and then coming back and then being a FIBA expert and what you're doing right now and what you're planning right now is just something I, I, I have never, it's just amazing. I love it. And I think you're such a big advocate. And I think the people, people need more, the world needs more people like you because you just, you seem like such a, just a caring uh, man and you care so much about the kids and the people itself. It's even before we even spoke and just, we talked about COVID stuff. And I, I can't say enough about you of just how, how amazing of a person you are and what you, who you are as a person, just what you're doing out there. And I think this, the, the fundamentals camps that you're bringing, I think is going to be so fun out in Seattle, like where, where you're doing it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to have to fly out and check it out. I think, I don't know if I can. Booyah. There you go. Absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I love just, it. just I remember, think that... <clears throat> hey, hey uh, Jeff, just remember this one thing, man. Basketball is a simple game until coaches put players in a position to fail because they did not teach them properly. Yeah. 
And I had that conversation with Bill Fitch when I was coaching with the Nets. Really? <laughs> and uh, he never forgot it. And we both came to a gentleman's understanding as colleagues and co-coaches. Just exactly where Tom Newell was philosophically uh, with basketball. And so it was a, a wonderful relationship and mutual respect. But anyway, that, that's who I am, brother. I love it, Coach. Real simple. You're, just a, you're an amazing person. I, I mean, we got to get you out. We got to get you out of Rhode Island if you haven't, if uh, Coach Cobb hasn't tried yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, man, Coach Neal, Coach Neal is, uh, is a wonderful model, you know, for youth sports, you know, at, uh, at any level, uh, for coaches, parents, and, uh, and the kids themselves, participants or players. And we're really fortunate to have – <clears throat> have him uh you know as a uh, educator but also in recreation uh jeff and and i think that the fact that he hooked us up together is wonderful because we're evolving you know the activity basketball yeah. we're also talking about the models to follow and and uh, the correct models you know we didn't expound too much on uh, parents yet but perhaps that's another time but <clears throat> i enjoy myself you got any more questions go ahead man I have these allergies, all right. So, in the morning before the uh, the uh, the meds kick in, you know, I've got this drainage going on. That's why oh. I'm coughing, brother. That's all right. It, it's, okay, it's not nasal. because I'm I'm sipping syrup or anything. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I totally understand. I get I get bad allergies too. Is it post nasal drip or anything like that? What's that? What do you have? Post nasal drip? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. I know. Yeah. I know. All, oh all man, my, it's unbelievable. All. All too well. Um, no, I think what you're doing is just an amazing thing. I think, uh, you know, I think you've had a, a great coaching career. I mean, and you're still coaching and teaching. And I think what you're like, you know, you've written books. I mean, what about your books that you have? Like, do all those books touch upon? Uh, my first book was with my father, uh, late Pete Newell, uh, and uh, this post play. Yeah. Uh, and it was published by Masters Press back in 1995. <clears throat> Wow. And then a book that I hope to have published uh, sometime uh, in the fall is uh, Gems from the Gym, uh, G-E-M-S from the Gym. And it's basically a book uh, that you can take into the bathroom and uh, it'll help your constitution because there'll be some, uh, some wonderful anecdotes in there and reminders that, uh, you know, uh, a men and women uh, can read about you know, as far as uh, the experience of, of my experiences, coaching at every level and teaching at every level. That's awesome. I can't wait. To, and I then having, get some, having some wonderful, wonderful uh, adages, you know, and sayings uh, that, you know, uh, longtime coaches left with us, you know, that have never been shared. So it, it's just good. It's a coffee table book, but I say it's, it's better if it's going to, if you know, if, if you have any type of constipation, this book's going to help you. <laughs> I love so it. Gee, bro. It's an OG it. book. I'll have to check it out. I'll definitely have to read it because I'll have to, I'll have to check out your, well, good. your book. Yeah. Well, well, when it's published, then, then we can, you can, you'll, I'll give you the rights to be the first one to interview me about yeah. the book. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Sounds like a good trade off there. Um, there you go. Uh, coach, that, I mean, that's all the questions I have for you too. Do you have any questions for me or anything? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you got away from basketball. You're a financial planner, are you? Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, so okay. well, I, 
Well, it's mostly because of uh, work. That's pretty <laughs> much why I got away from the game. Um, just the hours and stuff like that. Um, it's tough. Uh, it's tough because when you work a lot, I try to volunteer and help out as much as possible and train kids on the side for free. I just, just do it because, you know, I love the game. I want to be part of the game still. I uh, was actually, that's what I was doing down in Dallas because I helping train some players with um, uh, down there and just doing some things with a buddy of mine that like runs a program down there. So um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard of, I don't, Brian Adams, do you know who he is? Uh, he was like a big high school player coming out uh, in the nineties, 98. Brian I Adams. I'm sorry, I don't. Yeah. yeah uh, I, don't. I just was working with him and I, that's how I still got involved. But like, I missed, uh, it's just tough <laughs> with work. It's really tough. I work long hours and some people are not as flexible as I would love them to be for me to go right, right, coach right. basketball and do things like that. But I, you know, I still love the game. It's always a big, big part of my heart and try to do whatever I can do to help kids out and um, make sure that they're that's learning. Great. Hey, hey, that, as long as you give them back, all right, there's a balance there. Yeah. yeah. Just remember that, you know, you don't need to have a team, but if you're sharing the knowledge and the experience, all right, with, with others, okay, yeah. you're, you're, you're evolving the game. You yeah. know what I mean? You're, you're taking, you're taking the treasures, you know, that, that you learn from your experiences and now you're providing gifts, all right, from those experiences. You know, to individuals, you know, it could be coaches, parents, or the kids themselves. But just remember that you don't have to have a team to be able to share, you know, the gifts that 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 you have acquired to the treasures of of the sport itself. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that means a lot. You're yeah, welcome, I just just trying to do my best, trying to get back. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. I would, like I said, I if I could do it for a living Great. for free. That's would, awesome. Yeah, I would do it for a living, but that, that's because that's, all those all those kids, yeah, all those kids are going to remember you, man. Yeah, so I well, so I did. You, you, <coughs> what's that? I said that's why I do this podcast. I do it for the kids. This is for them. This is their platform, and right. give them some opportunities to speak about some things and talk about their careers and help them get ready with some media stuff too. So that's all the reason why I started this as well. That's great. That's yeah. great. Now, how long have you been doing the uh, podcast? So this one I've been doing almost for a year, maybe a year in August. I started this back after, during the pandemic. So around the pandemic, I started this. So about a year now. Um, it's okay. been going great. Just, you know, made a lot of great connections. And, uh, you know, I'm happy all, the, happy all the kids that I've had on the show, especially in the Rhode Island area, trying to give them some spotlight that they deserve. Terrific. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, every, every, every day, you know, that you guys are, are working together, you know, is another day of new knowledge, man. Yeah, that's very it's, true. It's never very the same. True. No day, no day is the same, brother. Yeah, that's very <laughs> true. It's, it's very yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's just like you know, no, it's just like they say, you know, no wave is the same. You know, and it's true. Yeah. No tide, no tide is the same. But isn't yeah. it interesting how how it, it just makes the uh, <laughs> the beachfront, you know, like a carpet, just yeah. smooth. Yeah, it's crazy. No, no matter how, how it's torn up by man, <coughs> the tide will come back and make it smooth like a carpet, man. Yeah, it's it's very true. It's a good point. It's a really good point. You yeah. know, and so those kids that you're working with, man, they, they uh, you're, you're giving them something that they'll remember. All right. That I remember when when uh, Coach Jeff took the time, you know, to yeah. talk to me. You know, I, I mean, one of the things, Jeff, that that I think you really enjoy here is 
one of my uh, uh, Newell Jewels, and, and uh, Neil knows him, is, <coughs> is Will Ferris. And he played bas college basketball at Point Loma. An excellent uh, uh, shooter, really good shooter. And about 6'3", and he's got good handles and, and uh, has a cannon. I mean, he can shoot from 40 feet. And so, you know, he's been uh, part of the three-on-three -three Olympic trials uh, candidates, you know, for the Olympics, which I think is going to be canceled, but he's having this experience. And so he, you know, he let me know that he was going to Colorado Springs with, with these other kids for the trials. And, uh, and I know he's really excited about it. And so, you know, how coaches would tell you to, you know, we take a free throw to take a deep breath, you know, and relax, exhale. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, did you ever really understand the, 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 the mechanics behind that, you know, encouragement? Did, did you ever really analyze it or you just, you know, like taking the wrapper off of a stick of gum and just put it in your mouth? Uh, I just thought it was just like to clear my mind, like not to overthink everything. Okay. <laughs> so here's what I told him. I said, Will, breathe deep with confidence. Exhale with courage of a warrior exhale with the courage of a warrior that's awesome i've never heard that before yeah i haven't either man that's what happens when you watch paint dry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coach you're just so knowledgeable though i mean all these quotes i'm excited for this book too your book has those quotes in it i mean i'm gonna i'm stealing that one i gotta let you know i'm passing that knowledge oh, please on. please do yeah, yeah. yeah that's no, amazing. no problem Oh, I love it. Well, Coach, it's been so much fun. All and right, Jeff. Thank you enough for being on the show. You're an amazing person. We got to do it again. And I, I, I know that I have the rights now of the interview for your book. So <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Jeff, don't ever hesitate to contact me, brother. And, and uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Okay. You. And you, you'll have you'll have haters out there. And you'll have people that will troll you. You know, just it's just like I tell people today. I don't know why you turn the turn the light on look in the mirror all right ain't nothing to see all right you know who you are yeah and and so it's just you know the, that's the problem you know the, the sooner that we turn the lights off in the bathroom we look at ourselves all right we're going to see the world completely different i love it i think that's uh, i think that is an amazing quote too because i think I need all to right brother that, take that one to bed with me too every night as well because all right I need that. all right jeff Coach <laughs> neil Tell Coach Neil I said hello, man. I will. I definitely will. Okay. Take care. All right. That was my interview with Coach Tom Newell. I really enjoyed our conversation. Next week, we're probably back to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. Next week, I have a great interviews coming up for you guys with Michael Mahone and Brody, Brody Limerick, who plays, who just committed to Quinnipiac. And I might have another episode in there as well, too. Um, but be on the lookout for those episodes. I hope you guys have a great Friday. And enjoy your weekend. And we'll talk to you soon.